0: Hi everybody, and welcome back to Airway First, the podcast from the Children's Airway First Foundation. I'm your host, Rebecca Downing. My guest today is Katherine Anderson, researcher and airway stenosis advocate specializing in using the power of communities to drive insights. For the past 18 years, Katherine has also lived with an incredibly rare airway disease known as idiopathic subglottic stenosis. In 2009, Catherine set up the Facebook group, Living with Idiopathic Subglottic Stenosis. The group has now become the world's largest support group for this condition. She speaks at conferences around the world, has written numerous articles and papers for international peer-reviewed laryngology journals, and is involved in helping doctors with medical studies aimed at helping patients with this disease. You can discover more about Catherine and her story at winthecatsaway.net and more about the condition of airway stenosis via the Facebook group, Living with Videopathic Subglottic Stenosis. And now, here's my interview with Katherine Anderson. Thanks so much for joining us today, Katherine. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, Thank you for inviting me. Along.
0: Absolutely. So today's discussion is a little different, and I want to make sure we level set that, especially with parents that listen to our show. Um, the... I'm never really sure if I'm supposed to call this a disease or not. The The condition that we're going to talk about specifically today, it is airway related. However, since it relates mostly to adults, however, there is kind of a correlation that we wanted to make sure that parents of younger children heard, and especially you know those that are teenage and, and up. So the organization that you're with is living with idiopathic subglottic stenosis, and it is a group on Facebook that anyone can find, correct?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Awesome. And I also want to make sure the listeners know just to be transparent, this one, this conversation may be a little emotional for me today because I am a member of this group. I have suffered from this disease since 2004 myself, so it's uh, a little personal today. Yes. So let's go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about what is
1: idiopathic subglottic
0: stenosis.
1: Okay, so it's, it sounds like a really fancy name, really complicated, but when you break yeah. it down, it's not as fancy as it sounds. Idiopathic means we don't know what causes this. Mm-hmm. Subglottic is um, just the area just beneath your vocal cords. So if you touch your neck and you feel it vibrate, just beneath there will be your subglottis. Uh, so this is the location of the next word, stenosis, which means narrowing. And you may well hear stenosis in relation to hearts and spines and all sorts of places in your body where you can have stenosis. But this is a narrowing just below your vocal cords um, with no known cause. So, and there, But there are several causes that it could be. So uh, they often start with idiopathic because investigations need to be done in order to find out a bit more information so right and i think that's what makes everyone in our group with this
0: condition so i don't know unique i guess because you hear the stories over and over you know we were all very healthy for the most part Mm -hmm. you know we were athletes we were active in our community active with our families and then boom we have an airway disorder
1: exactly mm-hmm. it's, it's it does seem to come so for adults it it sort of appears generally 31 well, between 30 and 50 that's generally most patients and myself i was 29 so i was at the lower end of that when i first had my symptoms um, but yeah that's that's kind of the age group for adults and yeah it's it's very hard i mean one way your airway can be damaged is if you've been intubated. And there's a Mm -hmm. bit of debate amongst doctors about how long um, it is before scar tissue will turn up in your airway if you've been intubated. But generally it's accepted uh, that it's within two years of of that operation. And it often will start growing quite slowly, but build up over time. Um, uh, At the moment, there's almost a pandemic of this uh, condition from airway intubation from COVID patients.
0: Mm, Uh, Doctors mm -hmm. around
1: the world who are treating our disease are treating many, many more patients and they're people who've been in intensive care with COVID and been intubated during that period and now their airway is damaged and they're coming back later with this um, trouble with breathing, so yeah.
0: And, you know, those that are not idiopathic that we can tie it to uh, some kind of intubation. There's Does theirs, pardon, I'm going from my perception here in the group, mm, sure. theirs does not seem to come back quite as frequently as ours does though, does it?
1: No, so from intubation, um, often when, so the, the treatment for it is generally a, a surgery called a dilation. And the mm-hmm. doctor, it will be done under a general anaesthetic. It's often quite a quick operation, you know, less than an hour for so the doctor anyway. Patient, obviously, a lot more hanging Much around. Much longer, right. <laughs> but the doctor, it's a good day, yeah. Yeah, the doctor might think it's half an hour, actually. But um, if they, they do it, especially if you're going to a centre that does a lot of these, it might be 20 mm-hmm. minutes for the doctor. They can right. pop, pop them out and it's really easy for them. And they move on, um, yeah. Yeah, it's all done through the through the mouth, so endoscopically. Um, so there's no cutting. Um, once they're down in the airway, they will maybe use a laser to cut the scar and open it up and then a balloon or sometimes just the balloon. So that's, that's done. And the same surgery is done if the airway is damaged through intubation right. uh, for those patients. But often it doesn't come back quite so frequently, so it might come back once a year for those patients. Then um, there's the other patients which haven't been intubated ever. There's quite a few of those. um, And their airways often are closing up more frequently. So they will have a surgery, feel fantastic. And within a few months, it's they're back to square one again and needing Mm -hmm. another surgery. And those are the mystery patients. Um, there's there's theories these days now um, that all of those are somehow once you you're having surgery I guess more than twice a year then your airway is it's a some form of vasculitis which is attacking your airway but it's still a little still calling it idiopathic because there's no test to prove that and there's no you know they can't just say take a blood test and say, oh, yes, that's what you've got, because right. you know, nothing shows up in any of us. Or they can't find it yet anyway. So there's lots of investigations, but that's, that's a theory. It is, it is related to uh, vasculitis, which can be a nasty disease in itself. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that I, I kind of wanted to lead into as far as what we're doing with Children's Airway is – for the majority of us i think we have had to be our own advocates with this disease i remember
1: mm-hmm.
0: back in 2003 i believe is when it started for me you know the process of going to doctors and talking to them and saying listen <laughs> i've been an athlete my whole life i'm a very active person i have a a, a young infant that you know I, I chase after and do things with her i guess she was a toddler by then Never had allergies. Something's going on, and I kept saying, No, no, it's allergies. No, you don't understand. I don't have these kind of allergies. This could not be mm-hmm. impacting me. I can't go up a flight of stairs without gasping for air. Um, and I had to be my own advocate and push and push and push. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we tell parents all the time. You know your child. Yes, you know something's wrong. And some of the symptoms that we have, you do see in children, but, you know, as you and I have, have chatted offline, children don't know how to identify them. You know, mm. they don't understand that snoring, they, first of all, they don't know they snore, but they don't understand that snoring is not normal, mm. that it's not normal for a young child to wheeze and gasp as they go up the stairs or to have, as we call it, the Darth Vader breathing that we do, yes. you know, that these things aren't normal. So. Yeah. I think advocacy is um, something that's very important, don't you think?
1: And don't take no for an answer. I mean, when you feel like your doctor is fobbing you off with something that doesn't feel quite right, and, and, and probably most of your life you've been super healthy and maybe your child's been healthy and you always trust your doctor. Mm-hmm. The doctor knows best. I and mean, They're an expert. They trained at this. But in reality, once you get that gut feel that this isn't right, you have to keep pushing and push for a second opinion. It's certainly within your right to get second, third, fourth opinions. And, you know, do your research and read. I mean, everyone always tell you, doctors always tell you, don't keep off Google, don't read Google. Right. You know, sometimes it is the right thing to do to to actually question what they're saying to you. And Mm -hmm. if you don't feel like it's right, I think you have to keep pursuing another answer.
0: I would agree. And I think groups like, you know, the one that you've created on Facebook, these types of groups really help parents as far as, you know, you could, you've already done the due diligence, you know, the the documentation is there, the research is there. Um, There's a community that's built up and I think that helps, quite a bit especially when you're dealing with the unknown such as any kind of airway issue because they're just so hard to pin down
1: absolutely um, and it's it's you know this, you just cannot explain how valuable it is to be able to talk to another person who's going through the same things you so mm-hmm. whether you're the patient um that, that we have been or whether you're um a parent with a child trying to understand is, is this normal for my child should i expect this and who should I see? I mean, you can get an endless amount of just emotional support. And I know that lives have been saved just by mm-hmm. having this group. You know, it's just through somebody will be holding off going to the hospital because they don't want to bother them. And maybe I'm not as bad as I think. And other patients in the group will say, yes, get, just get there, get yourself there at ASAP and, you know, giving them advice on what's steps to take to try and protect themselves Mm -hmm. because also when you have an airway issue the last thing you want is a over-enthusiastic junior emergency doctor damaging your airway or putting a tracheostomy in and that's again I've been told by some of the world's top surgeons is one Mm -hmm. of the biggest problems they say weekends are horrendous for People just re- responding with the wrong treatments, and then they have to try and spend years, sometimes, undoing the damage from one night, mm-hmm. and that's caused by doctors who are, you know, trying to do the right thing but are not
0: right because they don't yeah. understand it. Right, mm. uh, and I do think that's also one of the issues that we're finding that parents are running into when they're trying to deal with, I guess, deal with, not the right word, <laughs> find help for. And, you know, uh, support mm-hmm. children with airway disorders. You know, it's exactly. it's a lack of knowledge. It, it They just, the medical professionals weren't taught this. Mm-hmm. So it's an unknown. So they don't know. You know, I, exactly. I know firsthand I have my, my ID bracelet on, which mm-hmm. is on at all times to warn somebody, hi, you have to use this particular tube on me if I were to be intubated because you could kill me.
1: Yes, exactly. And I have the same, you know, I just hope they would look at it. I look at, I watch all these medical programs. No one's ever looking for a bracelet. I know. That is the (laughs) same nightmare
0: we all have. Please check the ID. Please look on the phone on the medical. Go check it out. So, um, and and with regards specifically, just to kind of give people a little more information about the idiopathic side of subglottic stenosis, I always get this, this figure wrong. Is it 93% women or is it higher? Is it 98? It's 98.
1: Um, some doctors believe it's ex- exclusively women, but there are men who are being diagnosed. Right. And it could be that they're the one, you know, those men have um, the vasculitis and or it's, there's a disease, I can't even pronounce it, but the initials are GPA. It used to be called Wegener's. Brand new, um, mm-hmm. don't know. Nice, yeah. <laughs> anyway, and a lot of doctors say, yeah, no, there's no there are there are no men. But I know for all the research that I've done that it's probably about 2% men. And whether yeah. they've slipped into the wrong group or not, who knows? Doesn't matter at the end of the day. Right, they're still they're traveling on the same their boat. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I don't I don't mind that there's men popping up because maybe we all have vasculitis at the end of the day we don't know right it, we just you know we're called idiopathic <laughs> at the moment exactly
0: because no one knows what to do with us so yes. and and in the research i mean as as they're trying to determine you know where this is i mean maybe one day we'll be able to not only identify it but be able to say okay these are the signs to look for in children
1: yes exactly Wouldn't that be amazing or it could be a, you know a little genetic test to say whether you've got Something, I mean, I believe it It kicks off with, uh, I think it, it must be a perfect storm of things. We don't know mm-hmm. what that perfect storm is, but maybe one one of those things is a hormonal change
0: mm-hmm. in your body. Having I children.
1: There's a lot of clues that that's involved. What else? I don't know. A lot of people seem to be triggered by stress or mm-hmm. something really major. I mean, there's a huge proportion of people who first experienced their breathing difficulties around a, a divorce or a marriage or a major house move or a death in the family but yeah. then that could be that it was already there and they just noticed it because they're being a little bit tighter around the airway and more emotional so mm-hmm. you don't know there's no it's very hard to prove anything True. And really most of the research is not focused on what it's caused by but more about let's try and treat it and make it go away and that's that's the primary focus at the moment which is understandable and I could you know while I'm quite curious where it came from I'm like also don't want it to come back so
0: exactly right same boat and I think another thing that that we go through that I think parents it's something to keep in mind because kids don't really know or they don't know how to verbalize it but environment can absolutely impact your breathing if you have any sort of an airway issue. I know for me personally, that's why I had to leave the state of Texas because the air quality, um, between the air quality and the heat, I was one of those people that it just exacerbated and made things infinitely worse for me. Yes. Um, so I had to get to where it was cooler and the air was, a, you know, had that natural moisture in it. And, um, is that something that you see a lot in the group that other people you know that that tends to impact Airways as well
1: Absolutely yes I mean I know um we have I mean in California and you know different parts mm-hmm. of the world in Australia they they have huge fires over the last few years and those patients who have been in the smoky air have really really struggled right um and yet you know we have, and think of in you know some patients live in amazingly clean air we have a, a one person in the group who's in Yosemite National Park and she's her um, breathing is amazing I mean she's like super athlete lives up on top of a mountain so <laughs> she really is but she does still struggle you know mm-hmm. she still has this disease but she's incomparable to the, anybody else so when she struggles like I think anybody else who had to her same peak flow levels would be going, Well, wow, I'm a superwoman.
0: <laughs> right. You are listening to Airway First with today's guest, Katherine Anderson. You can find out more about the Children's Airway First Foundation and our mission to ensure that every child has access to screening, evaluation, and treatment of all children's airway disorders before the age of six on our website at children'sairwayfirst.org You can also find a ton of great resources for parents on our website, including videos, blogs, recommended books, comprehensive medical research, and more. And don't forget to check out our new Facebook support group for parents, the Airway Huddle. As a reminder, this podcast and the opinions expressed here are not a medical diagnosis. If you suspect your child might have an airway issue, contact your pediatric airway dentist or pediatrician. And now, back to my conversation with Katherine Anderson. Well, and peak flow levels, that's something that um, I think parents... With children with airway, that's something that most of them I maybe not even just then, most people don't really understand what that is. So let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. I know there's there's some information if people are looking for it on um the Facebook group that you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is peak flow? How do you measure it? Why is this important?
1: Yeah, so traditionally um a peak flow meter has been used for asthma.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if um and basically it's, it's a very simple little device with a sort of a little spring in it, a little piece of plastic that you just put your mouth over the mouthpiece mm-hmm. and you blow as hard as you possibly can. And then you take a deep breath, you blow again. You do three good hard blows. I sometimes do one for luck, you know, because I can't, don't like the, where the third spot is. But right. I don't tend to move any further. Um, and you write down that number. And there is um a well-documented guidance on where people should be for their age and their height and their gender. So women and men's peak flow are very, very different. Mm-hmm. So never compare yourself with your husband. <laughs> yeah, he's never he's gonna be way better. Even if right. he's struggling to breathe, he would be way better. So um and don't compare against a much younger person or a much taller person you know it's it's there's all sorts of things but really it's a a very simple guidance of how you sit compared to a normal person if you had a normal airway and you were breathing normally how bad are you and if you track it over time you're able to plot trends so Mm -hmm. if you the breathing starts getting worse. Um, you're you're able to sort of right, recognize that. So there's some great apps which are free. Um, in the US, it's um, Asthma MD. There's a an app there which you can you put all the information in about age, gender, etc., and it plots a chart for you. So what expected levels are, and then. You Can buy, I think it's about ten dollars or something like that. It's even ten and twenty dollars for a peak flow meter, mm-hmm. and um, you can buy them online or in the pharmacy. And yeah, that's you just plot that number from that into the app. Each you know, I do mine daily, but when you know, a couple of times a week, if you can only do that, that's fine, and you'll gradually plot a little trend and, and be able to understand whether you're stable or whether you're improving or generally, mm-hmm. you know, in our season, gradually going down.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Just, you're, you're
0: on the clock to see when you have to go back in.
1: <laughs> That's right. But at least you can recognize trends and you can contact your doctor mm-hmm. quickly with real information. I think often people fly off the handle just saying, oh, I feel bad. And, and you know, it's, it's very hard for a doctor without having a number or Some how thing, quantitative. How yeah yeah how are you when you feel good and how are you now and what's the trend been because you could have a temporary drop maybe you have a cold Mm -hmm. but it gets better and your peak flow gets better as well so there's all sorts of things that will impact it but if you follow it over a long time you'll get to understand what's a real drop as opposed to a temporary drop
0: right right and 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 you're much better than i am i i I apologize to listeners now. I don't actually take my own advice. I don't do it every day just because it's. <laughs> I find it depressing. I do it twice uh, or once a week so that I got four good numbers every month yeah. to show. Um, yeah, yeah, because that's a, that's a personal psychological thing. But um, 100% agree because as parents, if you can do this with your child, that's great because you have something quantitative to take in. Mm. To say, you know, something's going on or I see this mostly in the morning or mm. certain things happen in the air. or You can start to see these patterns, like you mentioned, which exactly. are huge. That's, that's huge. And I'll put links to all of that um, in the show notes for our guests. So one of the other things that I know people with airways struggle with, um, specifically our group, but I know others too as well, phlegm and mucus Mm. and you you hear a lot of coughing i mean that's another another sign aside from snoring or some of the other things that we mention on our website Mm. are signs and symptoms but this perpetual cough yes and
1: mucus so that's yeah that's that's um it's an interesting one because it's it will be consistent and it will and generally uh in airway stenosis it's because there is a an area within the within the neck which is not normal so um, the stenosis is caused by stark scar tissue mm-hmm. which is very unlike normal neck tissue which um, the interior of your neck will be have uh, something called cilia it's a little bit like the inside of your cheek so if you put your tongue around your cheek you can feel nice and smooth, and that's mm-hmm. pretty much exactly what your neck should be like. But when there's scar tissue blocking that, that's, that's gone. And that stops the cilia moving the, um, the mucus up and down nice and easily, like it should do. So the only way to get it past is to cough. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's going on is that uh, whenever there is a narrowing, Of any sort of a normal, so a tube that suddenly has a narrowing in the middle, the airflow through that narrow bit increases. And because it's going faster through that bit of your neck, the mucus is drying and becoming a bit more glue like and a bit stickier. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes harder to cough as well. So you really do have to kind of cough that out. And as a patient or a parent with a child, you might be noticing that they're coughing out sort of lumps of mucus every so often if they can get a really good cough. Mm-hmm. Or they're struggling, you can hear it almost growling in their neck because yep. it's still stuck. And that's where you need to use a, a nebulizer to help put more moisture into the neck and help loosen up that, that sticky mucus. It is pretty much magic, one
0: one good nebulizing treatment. Whoosh. It's amazing what it does. Exactly. So, but and there's some other things that um, I, I've seen in conversation. And, and I don't know if, if, because you work so closely with the thoracic society and some of these other groups, things that uh, we can do to, to kind of help regulate the mucus aside from, and coughing aside from the nebulizer. Um, I've heard things about dairy brought up, you know, regulating dairy. Are, are any of these other things that we could do, we could try, you know, kind of as home remedies to help?
1: You could. I mean, dairy doesn't work for everybody. Some people find it hard to not have it in their diets, and, and it doesn't always affect everybody the same way. So if you do recognize a pattern that you feel that you're getting more, particularly sticky mucus around the, when you're eating dairy, then that's definitely advisable to cut back, but not everybody does notice that. So right. I wouldn't just cut it out of your diet if you're doing fine. Um, there are particular things which are famous for helping thin mucus, so things like uh, pineapple juice. It's got um, bromelain in it. It's a uh, you can get tablets which are bromelain, which are, it they help to thin the mucus. So it's a uh, so fresh pineapple juice, and unsweetened should be sweet enough as it is. It will will help. Yeah. But again, you know, it's like anything, the, the trade off is it's you're getting a lot of a big hit of sugar and it's not very healthy for you. And so it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a challenge. I think one of the best things you can do is remain hydrated and make sure you drink lots of water. Mm-hmm. or herbal teas, or sometimes just warm water with some lemon in, just all of that, just getting moisture or steam even, just the steam that can help as well, just breathing in warm steam. So all of those types of things are, are great ways of you know, doing it at home without any fancy
0: equipment. So mm-hmm. I, I know from personal experience, at least for me, another thing is uh, soft drinks, which I'm sure that's something parents have to, Contend with soft drink soda. I guess you would call. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure what it is in that uh, outside of the sugar, but there's something in there that, that you know. I I do see a consistent pattern, and I've I've tested this on both of my children when they've had allergies. You know, nobody gets the Dr. Pepper for a couple of days. Let's just see what happens, and you know they're it does seem to help a little bit. So yeah. Yeah. It is kind of a trial by fire, which I'm sure most parents are. Definitely. And I don't think,
1: yeah, I don't think a huge amount of research has been done on on that. You really just have to follow (laughs) your gut feel and say, yeah, we know, well, we know that soft drinks aren't good, you Mm -hmm. know, even, you know, diet ones and everything. They're not going to go for you. They're an occasional treat as opposed to a everyday thing. And I think, And it's too easy as an adult to just get in habits of things, especially when they've got caffeine in. (laughs) It is, I know.
0: So, I uh, I mentioned earlier you do work closely with the Thoracic Society and some of these other larger uh, ENT groups throughout the world. Yes. What kinds of things are in the forefront right now or that are being talked about or that you can share?
1: Um, so, I mean, there's been some exciting things over the last few years in terms of um, a lot of research. We're still waiting for a lot of things to be published, which is, mm-hmm. you know, just really looking at some of the treatments because a lot of treatments, uh, doctors in the ENT and the thoracic field, when they're dealing with something rare, they do, the doctors do tend to be quite creative. Mm-hmm. So, other fields, they tend to develop, you know, be very careful about developing exact protocols and everybody follows them whereas in this field things sort of emerge and nobody sort of tends to test them and one example is steroid injections mm-hmm. and a lot of patients started getting steroid injections into their neck and doctors would you know chat to each other at conferences and say oh well I'll take that up and that's how they got to do it and each doctor was doing, a different amount and different um, frequencies, their patients and nobody was looking at side effects. And so there's a lot of research, you know, it's particularly over the last two years and, and this year to really, okay, let's try and nail some of these things down and really understand what this is doing. Is it actually helping patients? And if so, then what are the trade-offs? Because generally there's a trade-off somewhere. Mm-hmm. With a treatment it's not very often that it's it doesn't harm in any way. the you know, doctors don't intend that, but it right. Might, you know, right especially when you're talking with steroids um, that you can end up with all sorts of side effects, but, you know the good side who is breathing better. so it's hard. so there's a lot of research in that type of thing. There's been some genetic research um, looking at we've had certainly in our group. Quite a few mothers and daughters and grandma's been grandmother daughters and mm-hmm. grandchildren, you know, the whole families or twins who've all ended up with this airway disease. So there's been a bit of work with them to try and understand and pinpoint, okay, maybe there's a genetic link that all these people have. I haven't heard anything about the results, and maybe there's nothing to see. It would be really sad, but you know, every time you something. Sort of the no, into that you, side you just wait, thing. you hope. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's also um, quite a few sort of different drug trials going on. So there's mm-hmm. been there's one going at the moment. Um, I can't tell you what the drug is because we don't want people leaving out and going and buying it, but right. um, there's, it's a, bl- a double blind trial. So some patients are getting a placebo and some people are getting the treatments. And so that's got to go on for a couple of years to see whether there's any real difference between the two groups. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. So there's, yeah, there's quite a few exciting things going on. There's um, another doctor who I'm aware of um, and he's kind of in the early stages with animal trials, I think with mice, but he's coming up with a, um, a new skin, which could go into your airway to replace the scar tissue. And it would blend nicely with everything else, and it would have the mucosa, like a grafting, which would it's be perfect. Good. Yeah, it's very hard to achieve, and yes, but he's, yeah, you know, he's feeling very hopeful. So, oh, it's so exciting. Exactly. <laughs> I so mean, there it is really some, is so exciting. There is, there is some exciting things happening, which you know could potentially have a really big difference to our lives. If you know, once they get to that stage, it's just medical research is not fast. No. Everybody wants quick results and every single paper that happens does take us to the next step. And it's something right. that people can learn from and refer back to. So
0: Right. We build on it. And yeah. uh, while as a patient, I want it to be fast. I also, please take your time because I know we've tried some things like uh, transplants, which people always ask me, why don't you just get a trachea transplant? Well, because it doesn't work. We've They've tried, yes. it doesn't work. so.
1: Please take your time so. with the research and you know, we'll wait. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. The the other thing that people often talk about, or you know, you know, these helpful friends that we have who yeah. really want to fix it for us. They really they, do. Yeah, they basically, oh, why don't they just put us, you know, a, a tube a in your neck or mm-hmm. a stent. And that is horrendous. You know, it, it really doesn't work. It works on a temporary basis. So mm-hmm. up to a month. I think, you know, with being watched very carefully but not as a long-term solution i've heard so many horrendous stories over the last 12 years of you know infections being happen or the stent moves creates more scar tissue damaging airways creating more problems and it's yeah so yes if you hear of a a doctor suggesting a stent just say no i would like a second opinion
0: Yep, I was actually, I was in that, that, that latter group that you mentioned, uh, you know, we did the first one and they actually attached it to my throat, which was interesting because every time I swallowed, my throat would kind of collapse. You could see it. Mm. And that kept getting clogged. So then they put in another one that had these little prongs on it and, uh, it decided to start sliding down my throat one morning. So yeah, the ENTs were called or the ENTs, they the EMTs and, uh, you know, rush to the hospital to remove it. But like you said, it leaves damage. So yes. it's a learning process they They were trying. So I agree. I'm in the no
1: stent camp myself. Definitely. And yeah, every, every top doctor I've spoken to has said, no, nope. they block, they move, mm-hmm. they create mm-hmm. infection, they damage the rest of the airway and sometimes irreparably. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's. And the tissue can come. I've even heard somewhere they, they. And it's supposed
0: to stifle the tissue, right. Cause it goes right on top of it. The tissue has grown around it. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's, it's not just, a good thing. It's not a good thing. And definitely, you know, don't go down that route I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Be, it's not worth, not worth the damage. Yeah. It's not worth the damage. Um, mm-hmm. and so, and, and on, on the website within the group, you do mention some other, which I'll make sure we have links to everything in the show notes, but, um, there's an airway defects group that you mentioned that we'll put yes. on here. And uh, Children's Airway First does have a parent forum on the site. And this week we're launching the Facebook version of that group, the airway mm-hmm. huddle. So will be something else that uh, parents can reference. What other, you know, over over the past 12 years, what other resources have you found to be really good go-to resources, uh, you know, when you're trying to research signs and symptoms specifically around airway disorders or airway issues?
1: Mm. Um, I guess some of the, I mean, I'm a, a member of ResearchGate and you can mm-hmm. find that on Google. And that's a, a great way of finding papers, but often papers are very hard to understand for the average person they are. Yeah. I mean, some of them, I, you know, over the time I've learned a lot of medical language but some of them, I just, you know, I'm looking up every other word, trying to work mm-hmm. out what they're trying to say, and that's in the abstract, let alone the actual paper itself. So, I mean, that's that's a good stuff. If you have an academic mind and are willing to read things, mm-hmm. um, that's a, a good area to look. I mean, in the resource that we provide on the group, which is called The Rough Guide, we've got a great um, bibliography of, of papers to, to look at in the back of that guide. So it's got a huge reading list of some of the things that we've referred to to create the guide, and the guide itself has been rewritten into patient language just to make it easier. Um, it doesn't look, doesn't read like a medical paper, but it's all been approved by doctors um, who often give it to their trainees and their you know anybody in their team to say this is what subclotic stenosis is about or aortic right. stenosis and, here are the symptoms and here are the myths and you know it's a great summary for anybody to learn about it really so yeah and it, it's incredibly
0: helpful because all the medical terminology especially when you're first finding out about any airway disorder it's overwhelming mm. it's like learning a new language it is it really mm. really is it is so one of the things I do um, for all our guests at the, at the end of every episode is just open up the floor to our, our expert guests. What kind of message or what would you like to say to parents to leave them with, with regard to you know, the state of airway disorders or you know, having to come to terms with and find help for their child with an undiagnosed condition?
1: Um, I think do your research and try and find out who the best doctors are for children's airways. Um, you know, there, there will be documents out there. If, if you're looking at papers, if you do know what's wrong with your child's airway, you've got a name for it. I would say go through those, go to research gate and find out who are writing the papers and what names are coming up in the author list. They might not be the first name, but, you know often the professors and the top people in the field will be maybe three or four names down on the on the document but if you're seeing consistent name coming back in again you think well okay they they seem to be an expert in this field um so collect information like that do research on that doctor if you have to travel and not, not go to your local doctors you know then do so if you can. I mean, it's hard. I know it's prohibitive right. in it cost sense, but if you're able to do that and find the best person, then you'll get rewards in terms of the health and the, of the airway and being looked after and, and probably skipping a few steps. And be tenacious. Don't take... Now, if you know something's wrong, trust your gut bill. There's a reason that, you know, it's it's there. It's, right it dates back to our cave woman days yeah exactly <laughs> it's, it's it's there to tell you when things don't feel right or you know it's it's not to be believed. so if someone keeps turning you away and saying it's just a cold or it's croup or whatever it's and you don't feel like it is, you feel like it's different and there's something different there, then keep chasing an answer. so don't just let it go
0: yeah I love that, and I would also just add to that find a support group um, you know from personal experience, finding a support group that is dealing with the same thing you are I can't even put into words um, the blessing that that is, just the peace of mind that provides and it really does open the doorway to knowledge.
1: It certainly does yes, and it's a as a collective. You can move forwards. I mean, I've, my career has been in research, but not traditionally medical research. But the last 10 12 years, I've, I've been a part of I think 11 or 12 medical papers, including two where I was first author. So, you know, my market research <laughs> the career, which was all about making banks and telcos more money, has now been turned to good, and where you know it's about progressing knowledge in the in the airway stenosis field so which is yeah, you know, it's a good good thing to be involved in and help me learn a lot and it is get, get to know some good people
0: <laughs> and i i for one appreciate your dedication to it so thank you
1: for everything oh, that
0: you, you do you. and i appreciate you being on our podcast today thank you so much
1: yeah thank you for inviting me
0: Thanks again to today's guest, Katherine Anderson, for sharing her story and to each of you for listening to today's episode. If you're new to our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to leave us a review or comment about what you enjoyed the most. You can stay connected to the Children's Airway First Foundation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you'd like to be a guest on an upcoming episode, shoot us a note via the contacts page on our website or send us an email directly at info at children'sairwayfirst.org. And finally, thanks to all the parents and medical professionals out there that are working hard to help make the lives of kids around the globe just a little bit better. Take care, stay safe, and happy breathing, everyone.